0: What it does is just restricts you to typically the lower income areas or the lower quality areas, which can be some of the toughest properties to manage.
1: Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is Fun That Flip. And they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who Fund That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best-ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fund That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times giving us his insight on the online lending process. Fund That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you. Get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you, best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool that'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work analyze the profitability of the project or if it's not profitable you need to know that too and make a determination on the max purchase price super important you can print out all the detailed reports and that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We only get into the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluffy stuff. With us today, we've got the president of the Chicago Area Real Estate Investors Association. He's a buy and hold investor with over a decade of experience in residential properties. How you doing, Ben Wallhood?
0: Doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me.
1: My pleasure, my friend. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit more about Ben. Prior to doing full-time real estate investing, he used to sell brain surgery equipment. There's a first. He bought his first house when he was still in school, and you can say hi to him at his website, Goapexrenovations.com, based in Chi Town. With that being said, Ben, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now?
0: Like you said, I had the natural transition of going from brain surgery sales <laughs> into real estate and you know have a degree in biomedical engineering that doesn't exactly do a whole lot of good day to day, but hey, you know, it's good for helping analyze properties. So I work out in the Western Chicago suburbs, I invest in a lot of fix and rent, if you want to call it that, in a single family space predominantly. We do some condos, some multifamily, but kind of our niche is to fix up single family homes in working class areas. And for our market, that's in the 150 dollars to $250,000 price range when we're all done. And we're just continuing to grow the portfolio, occasionally selling a flip here and there, but really focus on trying to build a solid rental portfolio.
1: I think that would be the ideal scenario where most of the properties we buy, we fix up and then we rent out and we hold long term. The reason why most people don't do that is because they don't have the capital to continue to fix up and buy and hold unless they're doing refinances and they're getting a chunk of change through that refinance. They continue to buy and fix up And refinance and hold. Is that your approach for getting the additional capital to continue?
0: You got it exactly. Our goal is always once we fix it up, rented it out, stabilize the property. When we go to refi it, our aim is always to get 100% of our money back into our pocket or into our lender's pocket if we do hard money or private money. So we're essentially made whole, but now more or less for free, we've added another cash-flowing, appreciating asset into the mix.
1: Who do you use from a lending standpoint? We've done a
0: variety of options. The bulk of what we've used in the last few years has been a crowdfunding platform. In particular, we use realty shares, but I know there's a lot of them out there that they're starting to do similar things where they'll work in that single family space or that relatively small deal category. It used to be when the platforms were new and crowdfunding was a hot buzzword a few years ago, they just wanted the million dollar commercial deals. Whereas now I'm seeing a lot more platforms come into the mix wanting to do a $100,000 deal where they can spread it out to people across the country and all around the world.
1: Walk us through how that works when you have a deal and what you have to submit and have to pay and ultimately what you receive.
0: From the borrower perspective, it's actually really similar to if anybody has ever done a hard money loan, where you're going to bring the deal to your lender and say, hey, here's the property, here's the condition it's in, here's my scope of work, my estimated budget obviously your purchase price and then what your ARV, your after repaired value is gonna be. And they do their own diligence on it and say, okay, you know, based on these numbers, we can lend you X. Typically it's sixty-five to maybe as high as eighty percent of the purchase price. And then a lot of them will also lend you the money to do the rehab. So from that perspective, it's virtually identical to just any other hard money lender. Really the difference is that on the back end, instead of one person or a small group of people putting their money together and, and running this hard money company. Instead, the crowdfunding platform is bringing in as little as $1,000 from each participant where people, again, from all over the country or all over the world can throw in a little bit of money and you know, collectively or through a crowd, they get all of it together. So if you've got a $100,000 project, you might literally have 100 people lending money on that deal.
1: And what type of returns are you getting on a project like that? Like if you want to use a specific example, even better.
0: So as far as the terms that you're going to get, I mean, again, similar to hard money, you're looking at double digit interest rates. So probably 10 to 12% interest and a point or two. And we're normally aiming for a 25 to 30% profit margin on the back end. So if you want to look at it that way, we're probably taking around half of the gross profit on a deal. So again, using an example, something where we buy it for say $70,000, we put 50 into it and we either sell it or refi it at a value of 175. So in that case, we had 120 into it. There's a $55,000 gross spread. We can expect to put probably 10 to $20,000 of that as interest and points
1: to the lender. Yeah. I never thought of this until now. And I'm, I'm glad I thought of it with you knowing that you've got a big brain based on your degree. So if you're buying a value add deal and you're fixing it up, then you get the appraisal. It's much more than what you paid for and you put into it. Then you get all your money back out and you can continue to do that until you do a bad deal. And when the bad deal happens, then the music stops. And then all of a sudden, you're not able to continue your business model. Have you come across that yet?
0: I wish I could say no, but the reality <laughs> is if you do enough deals, eventually you're going to a bad one. So the upshot though is really in that play where you're doing a fix and fix rent and refi, if you want to call it that. A quote unquote bad deal is where at the end of it, when you go to refi out, you've overshot what you thought it was going to be worth or your lender just doesn't want to give you as much as he expected. So it's not like you're just going to get wiped out right now. Instead of getting all of your money back out of the deal, you might get all of it back except five grand, 10 grand, you know, maybe if it goes horrifically 20 or 30 grand. And while obviously that's not a good situation, really what you've done is just invested 20 or $30,000 into an appreciating asset. So it's not really the end of the world, but of course, now you got to figure out where to come up with that cash for the next deal, right? So it doesn't wipe you out in the present. It's at least going to slow you down for the future.
1: Unless the deal went horrifically wrong and you lost it for some reason, but we won't go there. We'll keep the vibes positive. So in that scenario, because it sounds like it happened or something like that happened to you, how did you come up with the cash for the next one?
0: Well, fortunately, I've also worked with equity investors over the years, people that see what I'm doing and like the idea of building a rental portfolio and having that passive income. So I've worked with a handful of them over the years where I might trade some of my equity because at the end of the perfect deal, it's all equity, right? I financed all of my money or, or all of my private lender's money back out of it. So all I have in the deal is equity or sweat equity. And I've taken that to some equity investors where... Sorry to overuse the word equity here, but uh, they're buying (laughs) out my sweat equity with cash. Mm -hmm. So that's a way that I can generate short-term income just for literally food on the table sort of thing. And that way they can buy into an asset with a little more leverage and it's already performing. So if you're looking at it from that perspective, if you want to go on to the next deal after you've had one that doesn't go perfectly, you just need more equity investments or or more outside investors.
1: Okay, and you bring them into that deal or existing deals and you own less of those particular deals in exchange for cash? Exactly. How do you value what that portion of their equity is?
0: Well, in a sense, if you got it appraised when you did the refi, so you already know what your ARV is, you've got something from an appraiser saying, this is what it's worth. So if you've got that $175,000 valuation today and you've got the $120,000 mortgage on it, Well, then by just about anybody's definition, there's $55,000 worth of equity there. Mm -hmm.
1: But I know some friends of mine who would be inclined to jump in on that. They would want not a one-to-one ratio, but rather they'd want more equity than the dollars equate to because there's more risk or they are just capitalizing on a opportunity where you need money. Not to put it like they're sharks, but that just tends to be what I've come across generally speaking. So is it a one to one ratio or do you give them more equity in exchange for the cash value?
0: That's the beauty of these deals. You know, it's whatever uh, me and the investor agree to. So to your point, it doesn't need to be a one to one ratio. There might be times where hey, we've got another opportunity over here. We need a little more cash. So I'm more inclined to cut a better deal. So I might give up of that 55000 in equity. I might say, hey, for $40,000 cash, you can buy all of that equity. Of course, I want to hold on to some piece of it because that's ultimately what I'm trying to do is build a portfolio of rentals. But then there might be other times where, hey, you know, we don't need the cash right now. So if you want to buy half of the equity, it is dollar for dollar, or maybe even at a premium where I've already taken all of the risk. I've got it up to the point where it's a performing stable asset. So if you want to buy half of that 55 grand, it's going to cost you more than half of $55,000. Mm-hmm,
1: because you've taken some of the risk out of it.
0: To that point, in effect, in the rehab piece, the don't know what you're going to find behind the walls and that sort of thing, You know, all that risk is gone. And I like to wait until we've seasoned the property for three to six months so we even know how that tenant's going to perform, let alone any wild cards that might come up with the property.
1: What percentage of properties do you own just you versus you bring in equity partners?
0: At this point, I think I have three properties that I own 100% and everything else in the portfolio I've got equity investors in. I like to share it that way. I'd much rather have a small piece of a really big pie rather than try to hoard all of it for myself. It's not really a, a strong way to grow. I like to spread it out. I mean, it helps my friends and family get into the business when they probably otherwise don't have the time. And it gives more opportunity on the whole for me that way too. Mm -hmm.
1: And how do you structure that from a paperwork standpoint?
0: We use a a series LLC. So that way every property is owned by a new entity. So I know they don't have these in every state, but uh, essentially you have one big master LLC. And then if you buy 123 Main Street, you create series one, two, three. And now series one, two, three owns that one property. And that's the only thing in there. So it it gives you the maximum level of liability protection, but then you can agree to whatever terms you want with your equity investor that way.
1: What is your best real estate investing advice ever? I would say uh,
0: don't restrict yourself to buying only the properties that your bank account says you can afford. I see a lot of new investors do this where maybe they've saved up, say, $20,000. So they're either looking in around here, you're pretty much in the slums to try and buy any property for that amount of cash. But even if you're working with a lender and trying to buy, let's say $100,000 worth of property for your $20,000 down payment, what it does is just restricts you to typically the lower income areas or the lower quality areas, which can be some of the toughest properties to manage. But it also takes you away from a lot of the learning that comes from partnering in real estate deals. So I don't care if you're, you're partnering with a lender or an actual equity partner, if you just take what you've got and go out and try and do it on your own, it feels like a very lonely business. And you also don't get to talk it through with your lenders or your partners. When you're new, that's what forces you to really think the deal through and see it from all angles. When you bring it to somebody that might put in their own cash, you always get hit with those questions you wouldn't have thought of on your own. So I think it really helps you grow as an investor. And, and I know that's what got me off the ground really early on was just having to pitch this idea effectively to my friends and family. That's what made me really understand my numbers.
1: What is a drawback to what you just described?
0: Well, I mean, certainly there's the people out there that don't want to leverage. they don't want to take on debt, right? Debt is usually a pretty bad word for us. And I know you had Robert Kiyosaki on the show and, and he's a big proponent of good debt versus bad debt. So for the people that maybe look at all debt as bad, if you go work with a lender, you automatically you're bringing on debt. And also if you're working with partners, You really have to have it spelled out who's in charge, who has what voting rights. If you have 10 people in a deal together and you all get to decide what color the carpet's going to be, that's generally a big disaster waiting to happen. So (laughs) it takes a lot more upfront thought as to who's going to do what, who's responsible for what, and who controls which piece of the deal. But I think, again, if you set those up in advance and those conversations force you to think it through and set those things up, it ultimately makes for a better deal for everybody.
1: You ready for the best ever lightning round? Absolutely. Let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's f u n d t h a t f l i p dot com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work. Help you analyze if the project's profitable and make a determination on the max purchase price. Fund that forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February twenty-fourth and twenty-fifth. The conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's gonna sell out. Besteverconference.com. I'm gonna be there a bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference they want to meet you in person go to besteverconference.com best ever book you've read
0: i read a lot i actually used to be the librarian for aria so this was tough but uh, i'm I'm gonna go with the one thing by gary keller
1: Mm, yes the one thing by gary keller and co-authored i believe jay papazon who was on the show and best ever listeners if you want to check out that episode then go to episode 212 where I interviewed Jay Papasan, the co-author of The One Thing, I believe, I'm pretty sure, as well as a bunch of other books with Gary Keller. Best ever deal you've done? Probably our 16
0: apartment building. I bought that thing on Thanksgiving Day a little over a year ago, and we use this exact same model we've been talking about. We bought it, fixed it up using hard money. And then when we go to do the refi, we're pulling out every dollar we've got into it. And now we got this awesome cash flowing asset that just keeps going up in value
1: best ever way you like to give back?
0: As you mentioned, I'm the president of my local RIA. Chicago area RIA is the only nonprofit RIA in the area, excuse me, one of the only nonprofits in Illinois. And I love working with them because they're actually trying to educate and provide resources and networking for others. We help a lot of newbies get started in real estate. And I'm very fortunate to have found them. They've been around for a couple of decades, and I'm just glad I can be a part of it.
1: What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate so far?
0: Well, as you can probably guess, it relates to my best ever advice I gave. So I made the mistake of only buying what I could afford. Me and some buddies pooled together about $20,000 and went out and bought a two unit in a rougher part of the Chicago suburbs. And between the rehab headaches on a hundred year old house and the tenants that you find in that area and, and what it goes along with it, we went through just about every painful experience you could have in real estate investing in a very short period of time. So it turned out to be great for me, but in the short term, and only limiting myself to buying what I had the cash to buy was a big mistake.
1: What's the best place the best ever listeners can get in touch with you?
0: If they want to visit my website at goapexrenovations.com, They can read a little about our company there and and contact me through the page.
1: Well, thank you for being on the show, Ben, and thank you for sharing your story, the approaches that you take for how to be a fix-and-rent long-term investor, how you're giving up some pieces of the pie so that you can still have pie for the long run, and you're continuing to grow your portfolio and bring in partners. I had to search... Whenever you said series LLC, I had to do a search for that because I'd never come across that before in all the 800 plus interviews I've done. So thank you for introducing me to a new term and best ever listeners. Just search series S-E-R-I-E-S-L-L-C and you'll be able to learn more about that and the lessons learned along the way that you've come across with perhaps properties that didn't work out and properties that are working out as well as your traditional model. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon.
0: My pleasure. Thanks, Joe.
1: Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th. The conference, the Best Ever Conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. Besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from, that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com.